0: Thank you, Dalton. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone this morning? We doing good? It's nice to have you here. Thanks for being here. My name's Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christy, and I are the pastors here. Um, I think we are, as a church, well, a couple of birthdays today. So as a church, I think we're like seven years old today. But more important than that, um, the lovely Pastor Christy has her birthday today. It's her birthday today. (laughs) So if you feel so inclined to shower her with love and gifts and all sorts of things, that would that would be welcomed today. You know, and maybe you're familiar with the the term the love languages. The five love languages. Is there five of them? Okay. I can tell I've been studying up on these things. Um, but it's you know which. So if you're wondering which love language Christy has, the answer is yes. She's she's fancy to all of them. She'd take any any of them. So, um, so yeah. Thanks for being here today. Um, We are going to continue a series. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. Um, But before we jump in, I just want to thank you for being a part of this church. If you're new, we would love to get you connected and find uh, some some people for you to meet and areas of the church that you can serve in and ways that you can get plugged in. It's it's fine enough to just come to church and, and sit in the seats on a Sunday morning, but the life of the church is so much more than that to get involved, to get to know some people, to get plugged in. So we would love to help you do that if you would like help with that. Um, And then also, as we're leading into Easter, so this really, our series is called Good News, and what we do the month or so before Easter, leading into Easter, we like to just focus on the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, really just to kind of center our hearts, our focus on Jesus and the work that he did for us leading into Easter season. Um, And with that, I mentioned it last week, we would love to have you think about and pray about who you could invite to join you on Easter weekend. A lot of people are open to come to church on Easter weekend. Um, And then especially if they get a nice personal invite from somebody, there's just something about a personal invite, like, hey, we'll sit with you, join us at church. So be thinking about who you can invite Easter weekend. And because we know that there are, uh, the church is growing, this service has got lots of empty open seats, and so we got room here. The last service was pretty full. We know Easter weekend can be pretty full, so we're going to have a Saturday night service on Easter weekend weekend. on 5 o'clock on Saturday night. It'll be the same service as everything else, and I joked about it last week. Sometimes Saturday Easter services can feel weird because he's not quite risen yet. It's not quite Sunday morning, but it's still good. He still is risen even on Saturday night. All right, Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Now, a lot of teaching, what you find if you read through the Gospels, Jesus would teach a lot in parables. So a parable is a story or an illustration. So you'll see Jesus teach a lot, say, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like this, and he'll tell an illustration or a parable. So that's what he is doing in Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 today as we take on uh, week 2 of our series called Good News. Now, in Mark chapter 4, it starts out with the parable of the sower, as in a farmer sowing the seed. And so he tells the story about um, a farmer who scatters the seed Around in order to grow the crops, to grow a harvest. And some of the seed falls on the path where there is no soil, and so the seed can't grow there. Some of the seed falls on the really shallow soil, and it sprouts up right away, but there's no depth there, and the roots can't develop, and so it withers under the heat. Some of the seed grows in a spot where there's lots of weeds, and so even though there's healthy crop there, there's lots of weeds around, and it's choking the life out of the healthy crop. And then some of the seed falls on good soil, that grows, and it produces a harvest. And Jesus is talking about this in the parable of the sower. He's saying the word of God, because the disciples, if you read on after this, the disciples say, hey, what did you mean by that? And so the disciples are a lot like us. We need a little help from time to time understanding what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus says the word of God is the seed, and the word of God goes forth, and our role is to make sure that we are good soil, that the word of God can take root in our life, and bring about a harvest of righteousness. And then Jesus says these words, and this is where we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 24 today. Right after he's talking about seeds, and then he talks about being a lamp, and then he talks about um, hearing the word of God, he says this in verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. So he says those words. Now, those are familiar words. If you've read through the Gospels, you know there are other times when Jesus says those same words. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so I wanted to give a couple, because when you read that, you kind of think, well, what is he talking about? What is it? It will be measured back to you. What's he talking about? So let's look at a couple other times Jesus said those same words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 says this. Jesus is talking and he says this. Do not judge. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what's Jesus talking about there in Matthew? He's talking about judging. The it, the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. That's judgment of others. So that alone right there should be, you know, that could be the takeaway. And everyone's like, I got what I needed from church today. I should be a little nicer to people because the measure to which I use that is the measure it will be given back to me. All right, another time that Jesus mentions these words is in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged, similar to what he said in Matthew. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about judging again, and he's talking about forgiving, and he's talking about giving, so he's talking about a number of different things, so we're still a little unclear as to what the it is. So let's look back at Mark chapter 4, where we started today. Jesus is not talking about judging others, and he's not talking about giving or forgiving or condemnation. He's talking about seeds and how some will fall on good soil. And he says, pay attention to what I'm telling you about this. The measure you use it is the measure that it will be given back to you. So he's not referring to something specific. And we've seen that in these other verses. He uses that idea to talk about a number of different things. Because Jesus is not talking or teaching us about something specific. He is teaching us a principle about the kingdom of God. And that's the principle of sowing and reaping. When you plant... When you sow a seed, you will reap a harvest. This is a principle of how things work in God's kingdom. He goes on to say in verse 30 of Mark chapter 4, comparing it to the mustard seed. And he said ag- and again he said, "What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed." Again, talking about seeds, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So, he's talking about a mustard seed. Again, sowing and reaping. Now, if you're familiar with mustard seeds, you will know that there was another time Jesus talked about mustard seeds. He compared it to our faith. If you would have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you will reap a harvest. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and you'll see that happen. So what Jesus is saying, and here's all of that so far, and I know we've been jumping around a bit. I just wanted to do that to get this foundation for this message. Here's where we're going today. Sowing and reaping applies to everything. And when it comes to our faith... And our involvement in God's kingdom, following the teachings of Jesus, applying the teachings of Jesus, we reap what we sow. The more we sow into our faith, the more we invest into our faith, the more we step out in faith, the measure to which you sow faith, the more you will see Jesus respond to your faith. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. Somebody say amen to that. The more you sow your faith, the more you will see Jesus respond to that faith. It's like scattering seed. It's sowing and reaping. And it says it's not just given back to you, but it's given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your lap, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Is anyone old enough and ad- willing to admit they used to listen to the Imperials? Anyone ever heard of the Imperials? Yes, I see those hands. Yes. That's what I think about when I hear, this. were you like me? Were you thinking of that old Imperial song, pressed down, shaken together, running over? Is it, it's going to come back home. Anyone know that song? <laughs> it's a great song. Kids, if you've never listened to the Imperials, you're going to want to get on that. That was really great stuff. That's what I think about. But this is the kingdom of God. When you sow into your faith, you will reap. And it's not, just the ma- it's not just the same amount. It is God gives back more. That's how a harvest works. You don't get a harvest the same as the amount of seeds you sow. You have a handful of seeds, and it brings back larger plants. That's how the harvest works. That's how God's kingdom works. Now, this idea, we talk a lot about this in church in regards to finances. Now, this sermon is not about money today, but I wanted to use that to illustrate and just talk about it for a little bit. A lot of times that verse, give and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, is said by a preacher on the stage, usually right before they're going to pass the offering plate, right? And it's like, if you will give in this offering, God's going to give it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and everyone thinks, if I give in this offering, I'm going to get more money back. It's like, a, it's like Jesus is, like, getting Bitcoin at, like, a really good rate, and you're like, this is going to pay off great. Like, let's invest in that. That's not the principle, right? That's not what we're talking about here today. But we usually talk about that in church. Now, we talk about that with tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament word, and I'm just going to talk about this for a minute before we move on in our sermon today. Tithing is an Old Testament word, and the word literally means tenth one-tenth. And so in the Old Testament, it was a command of God, you will give a tenth of everything you have back to the house of God, or you will offer God the first 10% of the harvest, and you will give it to the temple. And that is your way of saying, I trust that God's going to provide everything I need. The first of the harvest, or the first of the flocks, the livestock, you would give to God as a way of saying, I trust that you're going to provide. But tithing meant you did that with 10% Of your income. Now, not only was it the principle of sowing and reaping, not only was the principle applied that when you put God first, He will provide for you. In the Old Testament, this was part of the Jewish law. This was the law of the covenant. You had to do this, you had to tithe, or you would be cursed. And God says in the Old Testament, there's times where, like, you are cursed because you're robbing from God, you are taking what should be His and you're keeping it for yourself. So I want to just put everyone's mind at ease today, okay? We're talking about this principle of sowing and reaping. We are not under the old covenant anymore. We as New Testament believers are not under the old covenant. God is not cursing you if you don't tithe to Homestead Church, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, oh, that's good news, right? Some of you are like, man... What am I going to do with all this extra money now that we don't have to give to the church, right? Hang on before you start spending all that extra money that I just saved you. Honey, we're going out to eat. Pastor just saved us 20 bucks a month. Something like that. So the principle still applies. We are stewards and we sow the seed of faith with our giving and with our tithing. Not to avoid a curse of God, but because we want to apply the principle of sowing and reaping. And so in regards to our finances, even though we're not under the old covenant anymore, we understand the principle of sowing and reaping. When you sow faith, when you sow generosity, when you sow trust that you say, God, I trust you. I'm going to give generously of my resources knowing that you're going to provide everything I need. That's when we see God come through. And if you would so generously, you'll see God come through generously. The measure at which you trust is the measure that it will be shown back to you. Now, if you are greedy and you close yourself off and you're stingy with your resources and you refuse to be generous with those who are in need and you think you have to hold on to everything for yourself, you are closing yourself off from seeing God move in your finances. Not because you're cursed, not because you're angry, not because he's angry with you, because you just simply haven't sown any seed. Or the seed is still in the barn. And you're wanting God to move in this area of your life, but you've never planted any seeds. Does that make sense? So we have a, a friend of ours, he was, at the, he was singing on worship team today, and he was here at the first two services. He's not here right now. Chip, he's a farmer in Cannon Falls, and I used him as an example. If I went to his house, his farm down in Cannon Falls sometime this summer, and, and Chip was just out there looking at the fields, and nothing was growing, and he was just like looking angry and upset, and I'm like, Chip, what's the matter? Well, he's like, nothing's growing. Nothing's growing. And I, and I found out that the seed was still in the barn. He never planted it. I would say, well, there's your problem, right? And I'm not a farming expert. You might be shocked to hear that. But that would, be the, that would be the problem, right? It's the principle of sowing and reaping. If you want to see God move in an area of your life, you plant the seed of faith. This is what Jesus is teaching us through all of these parables. So our message today is not about money and tithing. However, I will say this. We have a number of people who tithe in our church. I believe the principle of tithing is great. We do it because we want to sow generously. We want to bring God into that area of our life. God, I put you first in my finances. I will sow generously. And the people who do that are going to see God move. This is sowing and reaping. We have many stories of families in our church who have stepped out in generosity and obedience to this principle, and they've seen God provide in miraculous ways. They sowed the seed of faith and trust and generosity, and God has shown it back with increasing Measure the measure to which you use it will be measured back to you. So, this is the principle we're talking about today not just about money, but with our faith, with everything in us. When we will sow into our faith, God will respond. The more you trust God in every circumstance, the more you are going to see God move. The more you step into a step of faith and obedience, the more you're willing to say, God, this seems risky, but I know you're calling me here. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to sow that seed of faith. You're going to see God respond. Christy and I, um, we've taken, we've had seasons where we had to take steps of faith that were, you know, nerve-wracking at first. We're like, okay, God, we feel like you're calling us to do this big career changes and getting ready to plant this church and other seasons and and circumstances we've walked through where we needed to step out in faith and everything else felt like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the smartest thing, but God, we trust you. Anyone ever been in a situation like that? I promise you those times are when God comes through, when you sow that seed of faith, the measure in which you trust God, when everything else seems like, oh, man, what in the world is going on? And those are the seasons, there were times where we took a step of faith and we're like, God, you have to come through because you're all we've got now. We've stepped out in faith, and now you're all we've got. Those are the times when there is no safety net where I think God even responds in a greater measure because we are showing that we have our trust in him. We are planting and sowing that seed of faith. Does that make sense? So I want that for this church. I want Christy and I to always have that as part of our families, that we're willing to just step out in faith and we trust God. We've seen him do it in the past, and we know he can do it again. And the more you do it and you see God respond, the more you're willing to sow that seed again because you've seen. You know, a farmer, maybe the first time they, they, they plant their seeds, they're like, I hope this works. After they've been doing it for years and years and years, they understand when you plant seeds, things grow. That's how it works. That's sowing and reaping. This is the way it is with faith. I want to encourage all of us. I want our kids and our family to grow up in a house that recognizes we can trust God and take these steps of faith, and I want that for your families as well. I want that for Homestead Church collectively, and I want that for all the individual families of Homestead Church. There's something that happens as a church, and we're seven years old as a church this weekend, and um, it was probably a little easier in human thinking to maybe kind of put it all on the line and step out in faith as a church when we were in year one, and there's you know, there's nobody really, hardly anybody coming and there's no, no, not really any money in the bank. And, but now they're seven years in and we have a building and we got families here and staff and employees and money and savings. And in our human thinking, we think, well, now there's more on the line. It's harder for us to kind of put it all on the line and see God, you know, come through for us. I don't want that to be the culture of our church. As we grow, as we get more established, I want us always to be willing to say, God, we'll go wherever you want us to go. We'll step into faith wherever you want us to step, and we will trust you, no matter what you call us to do. This is what I want to be one of the marking things of our church culture. Amen? So that's what we're talking about today. And this idea of sowing into faith and seeing God respond is illustrated so well in two stories in the next chapter of Mark, in Mark chapter 5. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to see this in practice, sowing faith and seeing it come back to us. Story of two women that were in need of healing. And the first one, the first story is one of the synagogue rulers, one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus. He came to Jesus as Jesus was teaching. And he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm, it says he pleaded with him, Jesus, my daughter is dying, and if you would lay hands on her, she will be well. Notice that's a statement of faith right there. I trust Jesus that if you would lay hands on her, she will be healed. Not like, hey, Jesus, could you maybe, you know, pray and maybe something good will happen? He is making a declaration of faith. If you would lay hands on her, she will be well. So the disciples and Jesus, they start on their way to the house of Jairus. They're going to lay hands on this girl who is sick. And then this happens on the way. So they're on the way to Jairus' house. And this happens in verse 24 of Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 24. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed all around him. So this is when Jesus is performing miracles. So he's got a crowd, a multitude of people pressing in around him all the time. Um, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? In other words, there's hundreds of people around you, Jesus. How can you, you know, everyone's touching you at the moment. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So that's the story. So while they're on their way to the house of Jairus to pray for the, his daughter who is dying, this other woman who had been subject to bleeding, in, if you, in, the, in the scripture she's known as the woman with the issue of blood, uterine bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered under the care of many physicians And now the physicians and doctors have taken all her money, so she is broke, and she's worse off medically than she was before. And not only that, not only medically, physical pain, physical other side effects that would come from that, socially she would have been an outcast because any woman who was bleeding in this regard was considered unclean and couldn't be touched, was to be isolated. So not only the physical pain, not only the fact that doctors haven't been able to help her, But she would have been a social outcast this whole time, considered unclean. Nobody could touch her. And this had been going on for 12 years. This is a desperate situation. Now, I want to talk about her great faith because there is a whole lot more to this story than what we see when we first read it. This isn't just a random, well, I'm going to try to approach Jesus and when I can just maybe touch his feet or the hem of his garment or just something, maybe something good will happen. There is a whole lot more going on in this story, and I'm going to illustrate that with this. This is a Hebrew prayer shawl. It's called a tallet. Um So it would be something that a rabbi or a Hebrew man would wear around their shoulders. Um, I got this one on Amazon. So if you would like to get one, you can get it on Amazon. If you're wondering, wow, he's a very spiritual pastor. He still has his Hebrew garment from Hebrew school. No, I got it on Amazon. Um, And they had one in purple and gold, which I got to remind us that the Vikings need prayer. (laughs) So that's why I got this. So it's this prayer shawl that people would, the the men and the rulers and the the people would wear around their shoulders. And then if they went into the temple to pray, they would put it over their head. It could be a head covering for times when they needed a head covering. But here's what I want to point out. In the bottom corners, in all four corners, there are these tassels that are sewn in, Okay. Now, everyone would have these tassels sewn into the corners of their tallet, of their prayer garment. Now, this comes from um, the instructions of God in the Old Testament. I'll just bring this up here to, so you can kind of see it. But in the Old Testament, God commanded Moses and the people of Israel, when you have your prayer garment, your cloak, your prayer shawl, in the corners, now the Hebrew word for the corner of the garment was the kanaf, In the corners, all four corners, sew these tassels on. This was a command of God. You can see it in Numbers chapter 15, verse 38. Instructions from God to Moses, sew tassels on the corners of the prayer garment so that it will be a reminder to you of the covenant of God with his people. So they would have these sewn on the corners, the kanaf, and it was a reminder of all that God had done. It was part of the law. Now that word for the corners... The kanaf is the same Hebrew word for wings. So in a verse like uh, that he will raise you up on the wings of eagles, that is kanaf, same word, wings. So these would have started to be been referred to as the wings of the prayer shawl or the wings of the garment. There are tassels on the wings. This would have been common speak for someone in the Old Testament referring to the wings of the prayer shawl. Does that make sense? Then, what was happening throughout the Old Testament is there were prophecies about Jesus, prophecies about a Messiah that was going to come. The things would get dark. There would be a season of exile, and there would be occupation from another empire, and the people would be crying out, but a Messiah is going to come one day and bring salvation. There was all sorts of prophecies in the Old Testament about a Messiah. We know that it was Jesus who fulfilled those prophecies. And one of those prophecies in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 2, again, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, this was prophesied about the Messiah. In Malachi 4, verse 2, it says this, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, talking about Jesus, or the Messiah, talking about the Messiah, shall rise with healing in its, what's that word? Wings, kanaf same word. So it would have been very common for people before Jesus in the Old Testament days to think there's going to be a Messiah coming, and in the wings of his garment is going to be healing. In these tassels there's going to be healing. There's going to be healing in his wings. Which is interesting, I think. But when you think about now this story in Mark chapter 5, this woman who has been suffering for so long is pressing in and is saying, if I could just touch, what does she say? The hem of his garment. If I could just touch the wings of his garment. If I could just touch the corner of his garment. Why? Because that's where healing is. Because that's what she would have known. The Messiah is going to come. And in the wings of his prayer shawl is where healing is going to be. That's what she is reaching out to. So this isn't just random. This is this woman declaring I believe, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you're the one that Malachi was talking about, that there is healing in your wings. So that's why she is reaching out. So when she presses through the crowd, she is sowing her faith. She is declaring her faith in Jesus Christ. She is in the law of sowing and reaping she is making she is planting the seed of faith i am declaring that i believe that you are the messiah and that there is healing in your wings so when jesus turns around and says who touched my cloak jesus knows what's happening it's not like anything's a secret to jesus he's all knowing he's the son of god he knows what's happening but he wants to use this as a lesson to everyone watching a lesson what we're learning today those who sow great faith will see God respond to their faith. Those who sow great faith will reap good things. And he says, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you because you have stepped out in faith, making that declaration, say, I believe you are the Messiah and there is healing in your wings. That seed of faith that she planted was returned to her in healing in God's miracle, in the miracle of Jesus in that moment, bringing healing to her. I love that story. I love that story when you understand some of the context that was going on. But the story continues because this was not what Jesus was doing. He was on his way, remember, to the house of Jairus. So an example for us of Jesus being willing to be interrupted by someone in need. That alone can be a sermon. Be willing to be interrupted when you find somebody in need. This is the story of the Good Samaritan and, and several other stories in Scripture of we're there to meet needs. Don't be in such a hurry that you miss out on meeting needs. But the story continues, and they're on their way to the house of Jairus, and just after this incident where the woman is healed, someone from Jairus's house comes with bad news. Jairus, your daughter has died. It's too late. We missed the opportunity. Jesus, you took too long. Anyone ever felt like, God, if you had just been here a little bit sooner, this could have been different? This was that situation. It's too late. You don't need to go any further. The daughter has died. And Jesus tells Jairus and those who are around, don't fear, only believe. Don't fear, only believe. In other words, sow the seed of faith right now. Don't doubt and don't fear, but rather believe that God can still do a miracle. That's planting the seed of faith. And so then this is what happens after that moment in verse 38 of Mark chapter 5. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus, Jesus saw a commotion with, all, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, I think that means he asked them to leave the house and not like punched them out. Although that would be kind of cool too if that's what it was. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum, I might not be pronouncing that correctly, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Another great miracle. Another great miracle, but here's what I want to point out at the end of this story. All the people that doubted and laughed when Jesus said, and again, if you and I were in the room, we probably would have been like, I think Jesus is crazy. We know the difference between someone who's dead and someone who's sleeping. But all the people who laughed and doubted, Jesus kicked out of the house. Why did he do that? Did he need them gone before he could perform a miracle? No, it's not like Jesus was there saying, guys, I'm trying to concentrate on healing this girl, and you're distracting me with all your laughing. You know, get out of here. I need it quiet. Um... It's not like only, only believers, anyone who doubts, we got because we need more belief than doubt. So all the doubters get outside, and if we can collectively pool all our belief, maybe we'll get enough strength to... No, God has all strength. Jesus has all strength. He didn't need a quiet room. He didn't need believers around him. Why did he kick these people out? I don't know exactly the reason, but I know this. Only those with the faith got to see the miracle. Only those with the faith got to witness what Jesus did. Now... Everyone else who had laughed before, they would be rejoicing that this girl was raised to life. They all received the blessing of that miracle. They were all happy and rejoicing, but only those who had the faith to believe got to witness the miracle. They got to see Jesus heal that girl. They got to see that girl stand up. Those who put themselves out there in faith, those who reach out to Jesus and press through the crowd so they can touch the hem of his garment. Those who sow the seeds of faith are the ones that get to see Jesus respond. This is the law of sowing and reaping with our faith. This is how it works. So to sum it all up, I'm going to sum it up with a statement that might not be the most theological, but here's how I sum it up right here. Those who sow faith get to see cooler stuff. (laughs) Those who sow faith get to see Jesus move in ways that you couldn't even imagine. When you step out in faith, whether it's financial, whether it's trusting him for any need or any situation, when you plant that seed of faith, you get to see Jesus respond, right? You get to see Jesus respond. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. This is sowing and reaping with our faith. It will be returned to you It is a harvest that is guaranteed when you plant the seed of faith, it will be returned. Amen? The very next chapter is a story that we all know well. It's the story of the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, 5,000 men, so that's not counting all the women and children, so many more than 5,000. It's the end of the day. Everyone's hungry. Nobody knows how to feed them. And there's one boy who has five loaves and two fish, and he gives that to Jesus, and Jesus... Breaks the bread and multiplies it and feeds everybody. We know the story, right? Now, everybody was fed. Everyone got to receive the blessing of that miracle. There was food enough for everybody. But the little boy was the only one who got to go home and say, it was my food he used, right? What I gave to Jesus was what he used to feed a multitude. It was my food that he used. It was that extra thing. He got to see cooler stuff right? He got to see his offering be used to feed a multitude. Everyone else benefited, but there's something about planting that seed of faith. Give, and it will be given back. Put forth trust in God, and it will be returned to you. Sow a seed of trusting and faith in God, and it will be returned. You will see God respond. He will prove himself faithful. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you, pressed down, shaken together running over. We sang that song earlier, that new song that we've been teaching. He's been faithful through every generation. So why would he fail now? I love that line. Why would he fail now? These promises of Scripture are not, the faithfulness of God is not just limited to the stories in the Scripture. He is unchanging. He's the same God. He has been for all eternity and will be for all eternity. He is faithful to any generation. That's us. We're a generation He's faithful to every generation. Why would he fail now? Why would he stop in your situation? You haven't run out of miracle punch card uses, right? It's, it's a situation that God's faithfulness is there. It's sowing and reaping, and it never fails. It's a principle that is always applied. It never fails. Why would he fail now? So here's what I want to do as we close and wrap up in just a couple of minutes. I want us to apply some faith into our circumstances. So I know that there's needs represented here, and I want us to just take a moment individually or if you're with someone and you're praying for something to just say, God, I'm not going to give up. I don't want to doubt. I don't want to fear. Um, whether it's a financial need or a physical need, and and uh, not all the stories end when you pray for something, and not all the stories end with the happy ending like Jairus' daughter. There's times where the answer isn't kind of what we were hoping for, and we, we can start to doubt. And sowing the seed of faith in that moment is simply just saying, God, even though you didn't move in the way I was hoping or how I thought it would work out, sowing the seed of faith is just as simple as saying, but I still trust you. I still know that you're good. I still know that there will come a day where I will look back, and see the faithfulness of God through here. That might be the seed that you need to plant today. But here's what I want us to do. And uh, I want us to stand together, so we could all stand. Now, we're the family of God here. Now, we're spread out a bit, so we might need to move around, and this might get awkward. We're going to sow the seed of awkward here for a little bit, right? This is the family of God. If you are here, and you have something that you are burdened by, you want prayer for, or that you want to sow a seed of faith and see God respond, I want you to maybe plant the first seed by just lifting up your hand. So if there's something you want to pray for that you want God to move in, please lift up your hand. And we're going to just, yeah, there's hands going up. Okay, keep those hands up. All right. So here's what we're going to do. And I know we're spread out, but this is the family of God. I want, if you're around someone and you don't need to talk to them, you don't need to find out why their hand's up, but look around. And maybe you have a hand and someone else next to you and you can both put a hand on the shoulder. I want everyone with a hand up to have a hand on their shoulder, okay? Does that make sense? So if you've got to move around, find someone with a hand up and put your hand on their shoulder, we're going to pray for them. And we can move. This is fine. This is awkward, but that's good. Okay. Now we're going to pray together. Everyone got a hand? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you don't need to know what you're praying for, but what we're doing now is we are sowing the seed of faith. So let's begin to do that. God, I trust you. God, I lift you up. You are the provider of everything we need. And whatever situation it is, and right now, just begin to declare, I trust you, God. I'm sowing the seed of faith. The measure I use it, it will be returned back to me. So for this physical, the physical needs that are represented here, Lord, We're praying healing, just as you did in these stories in Mark chapter 5. I'm praying for miraculous healings today. For financial needs, I'm praying for miraculous provision. We're here, and we're pressing through the crowd. We're pressing through the noise. We just need a touch from Jesus, and we're sowing that seed of faith. You are the one who can meet needs. You are the God who heals broken bodies. You are the God who restores. You are the Messiah. We reach out to you, and we sow that seed of faith today. So for physical needs, financial, if it's anxiety, depression, if it's relationships, if it's uh, hopeless situations with kids or family members, God, we trust that you are working and we plant a seed of faith today knowing that you are the God who will move and restore and heal. We apply faith to these situations today and ask that you would move. And I'm praying that whatever the result looks like, we would trust you. But I'm praying for results today, Lord. I'm praying for some of these situations that today we would see an immediate return on our investment. That we would get a report or that we would have a conversation and that we would have some indication that God is turning this around. Lord, I'm praying for that, those miracles today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Could we just sing that chorus, I Will Build My Life? I will sing this out in faith we put our hope in you Lord we sow that seed of faith we trust you alone God that you are the storm is revealing our life built on something else today again we put our trust in you we build our lives on you the firm foundation ask that you would move in every situation we apply faith we plant that seed of faith in jesus name we pray that you would move in all these ways and everybody said amen